Welcome to the Green Element podcast, where we meet business leaders and innovators transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable, and in the process, help you on your sustainability journey. I'm your host, Will Richardson. The concepts of reuse and reduce sit at the very top of the waste hierarchy. With me today is Zach Lawless, the co-founder of The Good Goods, who has implemented these concepts in an industry you'd least expect it, the wine industry. Reducing waste isn't just about waste, but also about reducing the carbon emissions from the raw materials, the manufacturing, the transport, and the disposal of the product. The Good Goods is a pioneering company offering a solution to the biggest cause of emissions in the wine industry, single-use glass bottles. Welcome, Zach. Thanks, Will. I appreciate the introduction. I'm excited to be on with you today. Now, I've given our listeners a brief introduction, but can you tell us in your own words what The Good Goods is all about? Yeah, so at Good Goods, we focus on building consumer-centric reuse programs for brands and retailers. And the reason I use consumer-centric is because we focus on really the consumer aspect of that. How do we get consumers to engage and return these products? And so what we believe is that that is the first part of building significant reuse models. And because no matter how efficient your logistics or your or or good your sanitization is, you need to be able to get the products back if you want to have a successful reuse program. So we're really focused on that first leg of creating a great consumer experience, figuring out how to get other producers and retailers to join the program. Um, and we have uh, dived into the wine industry to to create this platform for the different producers and, and retailers in the industry. Are you finding there's good take up in it? Yeah, I think that well, we, we chose the wine industry for a number of reasons. One is that it could be uh, easily adopted by the players who are in it currently. So wine obviously is already in durable, reusable packaging. Um, and then secondly, there's a high level of standardization within the industry. So um, from that perspective, uh, producers can move on to the platform pretty, pretty easily uh, without major changes compared to some industries that are trying to move over to reuse. For instance, I know that Haagen-Dazs, for instance, that I don't know if you've seen that famous uh, uh, stainless steel container that's double walled that they, they introduced into it. Uh, into the reuse program, but I know that that took something like two years to be able to manufacture the packaging and get through a, get a new production line and things like that, whereas wine can move really quickly. The other part about it, and the reason I think that we have had so much success in wine is that it's uniquely affected by climate change, right? The the producers really feel the the, the impact. And it's been one of those things that's been really kind of almost mo- definitely moving to to go to a lot of conferences, talk about what we're doing and, and listen to these producers talk about climate change. A lot of them are sitting there saying, people are telling me that climate change isn't affecting me as much as it is, but my grapes are different and my grapes aren't lying to me, right? And so um, in an agricultural industry that's greatly affected by this, producers are really interested in, in making changes. And so... We, we know that the glass bottle itself is, it, by reusing the glass bottle itself, that's the biggest impact you can make into the production of wine from the finished product's carbon footprint standpoint. That's interesting. Slightly on a tangent, but I mean, what was it that compelled you to set up the good goods? Because your background is really interesting. And I'm curious to know how you transitioned from being a university degree in mechanical engineering and business finance to setting up your own business in wine. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of a long story. I can take you I can take you down that journey. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I had a degree in mechanical engineering, also a degree in in business finance out of college. I moved to New York to get into the finance industry and ended up working in uh, private equity venture capital, investing in social impact uh, investments, and really learned the power of social impact businesses and became committed to really how can we create business solutions that affect some of our largest problems within the world. And so in 2017, I actually launched my own business, my first business, which was uh, doing grab and go meals out of reusable containers. All those reusable containers could be returned to any of our locations for credit towards consumers next purchase. And the reason that we did the reusable containers at that point was really because China had stopped accepting plastics and really created a lot of attention towards this uh, recycling crisis that we're kind of that we're still in today. And so we wanted to be a part of the problem and, and not a part of the solution. We came up with this idea of a zero waste lunch option, and we gained a lot of traction pitching this to not just venture capital investors, but some of the largest food service operators in the country as well. We signed deals with Aramark, Compass, Sodexo, and, and launched in New York with around 30 locations. And we didn't put a ton of time into really how do we create this consumer experience around reuse. We went with kind of the, the general model. Hey, it's an $8 salad. When you check out, put a $2 deposit down for that, that salad. When you come back, you'll get that $2, those $2 back. And three months in, uh, we looked back to see how things were going. And we had a 20, I think it was 21% return rate. <laughs> and the number one complaint we had on the customer surveys was, was that the customers had to return the packaging. So, so we, we realized that we were failing in our mission to actually create a sustainable uh, lunch option or one that, that uh, made economic sense. And so what we realized is that we were competing with disposability as a product feature for all of our meals. And we had to figure out a way to leverage reusability or reuse as a product feature to compete with disposability. And so we went back at our locations and started doing A-B testing of different types of consumer experience. And little things that we did, just instead of having that be an $8 salad with a $2 deposit, it's having it be a $10 salad. Now you get a $2 reward when you bring it back. And then using the different touch points in the consumer experience now that they're coming back to your machine, now that they're interacting with you through a unique identifier, which in this case was their cell phone number, we were sending them messages of positive reinforcement, but also messages of normalization to let them know that other people were doing it. Hey, 10,000 other people returned that this month. And so between those different changes in the A-B testing that we did, we actually, by the end of it, we hit an 80% return rate of our packaging. That's across subway centers, office building lobbies, college libraries. Um, and so across kind of all of the spectrum of people eating on the go, leaving the different locations and then coming back to them to return it, um, we were getting this extremely high return rate. And more importantly on our surveys, and going from being the number one complaint about having to return the, uh, the bowls, the number two feature of our products that they enjoyed was the fact that they could return the bowls and be a part of, uh, be a part of kind of the movement. So we really flipped the script and we did it through testing. And what we thought we'd actually hit on was this idea of creating a better consumer experience for reuse. So as COVID hit, we, a lot of our locations that were based on foot traffic in New York City um, stopped, stopped getting that, that same level of foot traffic. And 
we got a, a chance to step back and say, we've learned a lot in this, but what we, we can only have so much effect being grab and go salads um, out of our own retail locations. How do we create this into a platform that can have the, the type of impact that everybody on the team is really striving for? So we did a lot of research on what industries make the most sense. And what we've really landed on is that if, or if reuse or reusable commerce is going to have a meaningful and significant impact in the near term, I full-heartedly believe that wine needs to be the product and the industry to bring it to the forefront. And that's because there's true business cases for it um, and there's there's ability to easily adopt. I think we, t- we, we t- chatted about this just a second ago, but the formats are already durable and reusable. There, there's a high degree of standardization. With just six formats, you could move 75% of the volume in the United States by SKU without changing anything about the supply chain or the bottling line itself. So there's, a, there's, the, there's the opportunity to move quickly. Um, and then the second part is that wine is sold at 1 million locations within the United States. And if you were to activate that, we would have the largest return network within, within the world. So if you could figure out a way to leverage interest and sustainability from these producers, which we're showing these producers are interested and willing to, willing to move along to actually get retailers to participate, you have the ability to create a network that has not just meaningful density, it's mostly at locations like grocery stores and things like that where you can expand it into other categories. So wine really is an opportunity to create a network on a private level that could expand and open the doors for any other type of product that wants to get into the reuse space. And so that's how we that's how we launched it. We started off with 10 pilots just to see if we could we could recreate the same data that we did in in Grab and Go. The results were incredible. We did 10 pilots over a three-month period at different wine shops throughout New York. We had an 88% return rate of our packaging. Uh, and we had 4,000 users within those three months, uh, collected 20,000 bottles. And most importantly, which was a really interesting part, is we forecasted the projected sales with those retailers for those products. Uh, and we outperformed the projected sales by 71%. So we showed that it was actually a product feature that could drive sales and differentiate the product in store. Um, and yeah, and uh, that is how I could told you it was, it was a long journey, but, uh, but, but that's how we ended up where we are now. And we're, we're really pushing, pushing forward and excited to see interest in this industry specifically. And you alluded to the carbon footprint of um, the bottle being one of the highest parts of the wine. Could you go into more detail with that? Yeah. So anywhere between 30 and 50% of a finished wine bottle on the shelf, uh, the carbon footprint comes from the wine bottle itself. Wow. That's one hell of a statistic. Right? Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> crazy. I mean, people always forget that you have to keep uh, glass up to over 2000 degrees Celsius in order to melt it, right? So whether you're recycling that bottle or whether you're building a virgin bottle, the majority of that, that, that the, the carbon footprint is from actually heating it up. So recycling really doesn't make much of an impact in glass, which is a very interesting thing that people tend to forget. Um, and also you're talking about an agricultural product that a lot of times has a very low footprint. So really, truly the, uh, the bottle itself is the is the main contributor to the footprint of wine. Transportation itself is thirteen percent, so the bottle is about twice that. And um, 
and reuse offers opportunity to really reduce the footprint of the bottle by about 65 to 75 percent so um it's the if if a producer is really truly interested in reducing their their footprint the number one thing they can do is actually reuse bottles uh to 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 reduce that number and since we're looking at the carbon footprint of it then once are you taking into consideration bringing the bottle back to the store or location point and then that's upward um, transportation back to the um, producer and then I'm assuming the cleaning of it and then the downward transportation as well like where, and what's what does that carbon footprint look like compared to the original one yeah, so I, I apologize. I probably should have at the beginning when I introduced the business just talked about kind of how the program works so people can understand. Uh, I give you the high level that we that we uh, do activations for retailers and producers. But how it really works is that the front end of the supply chain stays pretty much the same and that um, a producer will fill in a, a reusable bottle. They will then sell to their distributor. Their, their distributor will sell to a retailer retailer will sell to a customer. Everything at this point is the same. Now that customer will bring back that bottle. They will scan it in through a QR code that's on the bottle to uh, to get credit that is attached to their number. The, the thing to, that's important is that credit can be used towards anything in the store. So it entices the retail owners to, to work with us. Um, and then that the retailer will set up a threshold of the amount of bottles that they are willing to hold before it gets picked up. We know exactly how many bottles are there because they get scanned in. So once they hit that threshold, a pickup gets set up. Those bottles get picked up, taken back to a, uh, a facility to hold an inventory until they uh, reach the right thresholds. And then they hit, then they go get sanitized, washed, and resold to, to, uh, to producers. And so how does, that, how does that affect the carbon footprint? Like I said, the majority of that carbon footprint is from... Uh, the production of the bottle itself, washing compared to uh, to uh, creating a virgin bottle is it's ninety five percent less carbon intensive process. And then you talk about how do I move those bottles around, right? And so for the majority of that, you're you're either picking up bottles and moving them to a landfill, you're picking up bottles and moving them over to a warehouse, um, and then it basically becomes on how dense of a network of producers and users of those bottles can you get before going across the country. What we do know from our carbon analysis is that I could actually pick up that I could that bottle could get shipped from California over to New York. We could ship it to a washing facility back in California and then ship it back over to a producer in New York. And I'd still use less carbon than it would cost to make that uh, make that bottle in <laughs> Virgin. That's brilliant! Wow, it just yeah, it just highlights the. I mean, forget about the business model, the you know the environmental model of it and what you what you're doing. Yeah, you alluded to it at the beginning, but reuse is really the holy grail for for sustainability. Um, and and we we tend we we're, we're at least in the U.S. we're we're bogged down by decades of legislation trying to promote and incentives trying to promote recycling. And recycling after fifty years is still really failing us in a lot of different aspects, and it hasn't really been thought about in a material aspect of what makes sense for what type of products. And so. Um, yeah, the, the our goal is to help push reuse and and, uh, and 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 make it a more common and engaging uh, product feature. And you're quite heavily reliant on 
tech within this um, process, aren't you? Yeah, we, we, we really do. I mean, it's kind of cliche at this point. I feel like everybody is a tech company, but we, we really are taking a tech forward approach. We're trying to, trying to modernize the milkman, right? These, these systems and everything um, have been in place before. We're not recreating the wheel and trying to recreate re- reuse, but we are trying to bring it into the 21st century. There's a lot of things that we can do uh, using tech to make that a better experience. For instance, you, you are returning that that bottle that you just uh, purchased, and you're, you scan it into your phone. You get the credit stored on you. We're going to text you and let you know that you have those credits. We're also going to allow you to opt in to learn more about the products that you have. And one of the interesting things is about sixty five percent of consumers engage to opt in to learn more about the products that they're purchasing, right? And then most of the times, we're letting them know about what kind of sustainable practices the vineyard's using, why this 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 whole program is should be meaningful to them. We can take them through a consumer journey that has been really reserved to direct-to-consumer uh, customers, but we can bring that into the retail experience through through what we're doing. And I think that makes it enticing to the producers, but it also makes it enticing to kind of the modern consumer who's really interested in, in learning about the products. They're, they realize they're not just buying what's inside that packaging, they're actually buying kind of the ethos of that brand as well too. And so um, we're able to do that. We're able to get feedback from the customers so that we can help uh, provide brands with with feedback on the products and even potentially help uh, provide customers with purchasing decisions. So the uh, like everything in in the modern economy, data is a big play of what we're doing. And, and same with, uh, and same with um, just the tech in general in order to make sure that that things run smoothly and the consumer experience is as great as it can be. What I absolutely love about your business is how simple it is and how successful it is, probably partly driven by the simplicity of it. You you haven't come in and completely changed an industry. You've actually come in and pretty much enhanced that industry and just made it more sustainable very simply. And that simplicity is probably what is driving that change. It, yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, one of the, the simplicity, I think, is based around our ethos of consumer experience, right? It, the more complex that anything gets, the more, the more difficult it is for people to participate. So we really do. It is a complex problem of sustainability, right? And it is a complex business that we're trying to get into. But in the consumer world and to everybody else who's participating, it needs to feel as simple as possible. Um, and I think that in general, that's kind of one of the biggest problems that, that, uh, the environmental movement faces is that it is such a big and overwhelming problem. But one of the things I think people love about what we're doing is that you don't really need to know the intricacies of carbon or of climate change. You don't really need to know how to live a zero waste lifestyle to participate with us. We kind of give you that, that entryway to be a part of the movement, to, to do something that is small and easy at first, get rewarded for doing it. And maybe what we hope is that that, that starts to lead to other major changes. We, we saw that with especially our machines that we put into, uh, into office spaces sometimes. Or we heard one of our clients come back to us and say, it's the water cooler for sustainability because no, people in their office, didn't, some of the people in the office didn't really know or care about sustainability that much. But when they were talking to people about the lunch they just had, they wouldn't say like, oh, I had this great salad. They were like, oh, I had this like really cool salad in this jar that I got to return. And all of a sudden this person who didn't didn't have a chance to, or would never have been in that sustainability conversation before, 
now they had a voice. They've done something. It's small, but it's giving it's like giving giving them a part to play. And you've talked about going into other industries. Have you or have you started looking at other industries, or is that still in the um, kind of planning stage? You know, we actually get reached out to a lot by people in other industries. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of fun conversations, but at the at the moment, we're we're solely focused on wine. Um, like I said, it's it's the first part that we it's the first ball that we think we need to get uh, rolling, and uh, and yeah, so it's it's just wine at the moment. We have we have big visions, but we're we're making making sure that we stay stay focused at the moment. And um, you've talked about the fact that it's it's actually a different bottle. Is that because the label is etched into the glass, so it's it's already made for that particular bottle? Because I guess I I was originally thinking that it was a glass bottle with the paper um, label, and then it would just be washed. Everything would come off, and then you put the paper label back on again. But I'm thinking that that's not the case. Well, that is the case. So the the major change in being able to make a bottle actually reusable um, is making the adhesive, getting the right adhesive so that the label will come off. Right, that's the hardest part of the sanitization process. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and so really, what the first step we do for producers to join our platform isn't even to get them into a standardized bottle. It is really to work with them to say like, hey, let's create a program that works for you. The first thing that you need to promise us to do is to start using the right adhesives and including our QR code. So that's step one for getting into the process. Then they have to agree to either let their bottles be resold to other producers or to agree to repurchase their bottles. So we'll actually work with their their existing bottles, making sure that they're using the right adhesives and the right QR codes. And then we we have our own standardized bottles that that we we move people to based on kind of what they're using um, ahead of time. So it's we we allow them to come into the program pretty easily. Uh, we just like I said, the the main issue is making sure that people use the right adhesives. This is going to sound like a really dumb question. Does it matter what color glass you use? Um, no, it doesn't matter what, what color glass you use. Uh, it's we we can we can uh, we can clean clean your thing. Okay. I didn't know if there was, I don't, you know how black plastic is actually really hard to recycle because machines don't, they can't see the plastic. And I wondered if there was, I don't know, something in that within the cleaning, but. <laughs> no, so, so you, you kind of push the problem into different areas, right? So like glass, black, black plastic is hard to recycle because you're trying to make other colors out of it. Um, mm. And the same thing with, if I was to get a, uh, a bright yellow bottle that somebody wanted to put into the program, um, we need to find a secondary source for it. And if the uh, if it's something that is so different from the market or so unique to that producer, um, then then it might be possible for us to, to find a secondary market. Yeah, because you're moving things around. It's been fascinating talking to you. What are your future plans for the good goods? Um, so we are... Uh, really just now starting to, to expand. We've got about 13 wines on the platform right now. We're hoping to be closer to 20 by the end of the year. Um, we're at about 30 retailers in the New York metro area right now. We're going to be at 100 by the end of the year, around 600 by the end of next year. We've got some big producers in the pipeline that are, that are jumping on board. Um, and we're expanding outside of, of New York by the end of the year into, into California. So we're going to kind of take a coast-to-coast inward uh approach to expansion and 
and yeah, so our goal is to to help get as many people on board and in, in, in reusable bottles as, as possible. So if anyone is interested in in joining the program, they just need to go to our website. We have a, a the contact us forms. We'll ask you to fill out a form based on if you're a producer, retailer, or distributor. Um, any one of those can get involved in any way. So uh, yeah, if anybody's interested, just reach out on that uh, on that form and we'll get them set up with the program. Brilliant. Zach, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and I just love your business. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. It's been fun to be on the show. I appreciate you uh, you uh, having me on and, and uh, letting me chat about Cougats for a little bit. Thanks for listening to the Green Element podcast. If you've enjoyed today's content, why not join our post-podcast discussion in our online community at sustainabilitysolved.org. We will be sharing ideas and collaborating on sustainability and reuse with our members. Join now and find a space to collaborate with like-minded professionals, learn more about sustainable business and inspire others to become more environmental. We also have an important update for our listeners. We will soon be changing the name of the podcast to Sustainability Solved to better reflect the content of our podcast. You will still be able to access all the original podcasts on your preferred platform. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe so that you get every episode and don't forget to follow Green Element on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. 